Well, let's get into it. So today we got Nate Prater, right? I said that right? That is correct. <sighs> Heck yeah. <laughs> so that's a good start. Okay. So we got Nate from uh, Streetcar Bragging Rights. He's been a promoter now for the past couple of years, and he's doing huge events already. i uh, been trying to get to one. Eventually I'll make it. I'm kind of bad about that. I, um, I have no ability to plan ahead yeah. more than like a month. So I always end up screwing myself over, but I'll make it to one this year. It's on my list for 2024. I feel like we've had you on the list for yeah. like just about all the stuff we've done, except for maybe the first one. And then you just message me and you're like, sorry, man. <laughs> I know. I'm, <laughs> can't, I can't get there. I'm the worst about that. But this year, I plan to make it to a few. And you guys do them at awesome event, awesome tracks up on the East Coast, like some of yep. the best like Middle East Coast tracks that there is you're now incorporating with. Um, Donald Long with his stuff, starting to kind of branch out to what I would say is new age events. Yeah, no, I mean that's um, you know with we've had we've had a big draw with a lot of the overdrive stuff and everything here lately too. So um, you know you're we're bringing out a lot of you know the newer model vehicles and everything, but you know pretty much our focus is street cars. Yeah, know? and I know there's a lot of other events that you know they're. They're titled that way. They, but you know, that's you get there and like this car doesn't drive on the street. This car doesn't have a tag. Mm -hmm. This car is probably not insured. So, you know, that was kind of a big focus of our events when we started. Was you know, it's it's tagged, registered, insured street cars. So, yeah, but I, I also mean new age events where you're incorporating stuff that a lot of people seem to just not think about because drag racing's in my opinion, a lot of these events are stuck in 20 years ago. I agree. And they don't really realize they need to evolve with the times because the same event year after year is not going to attract new people every year. It's definitely a big one. Um, I don't like to, like, not disparaging any events. It's just it how it's how it is. Like, yeah. culture, like, culture changes, people's attention changes, and you've, like, added things like the burnout stuff, and you're trying things that will hopefully incorporate new eyes. Yeah. So the reality of it is we learn pretty quickly. You know, I mean, we're obviously very new to this, but um, spectators is what pays the bills when it comes to drag racing promoting. Um, you know, bringing a few hundred cars in is great. You know, get quality cars, awesome. But until you put asses in seats, like you are not making any money. You're not breaking even. So what do you have to do to get those guys there other than just seeing cars go down a track? You know, that's what we try to focus on. Um, you know, stuff as little as T-shirt cannon things, uh, fireworks displays, inflatables for kids. Our burnout contest that we just had back in December, um, we had Santa Claus out there. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. it's a lot of little stuff like that where we're trying to – we're also trying to draw people out to the track that may not normally come to the track. Um, there's got to be an entertainment aspect of doing these types of things to get people that would normally not go out to your racetrack. Um, you know, we we're seeing it more and more here lately. Tracks are closing left and right. And like you said, I think a lot of these places are kind of stuck in what they've been doing, how they've been operating. And I, just, I don't think it works. Yeah. I think there's that dangerous phrase of like, well, that's how I've always done it. Yeah. And since you're a relatively new promoter, at least in my mind, I don't know if no, that's yeah, correct. Yeah, definitely very okay. new. Very I, new. I didn't know if I was going out on a limb there, and you're like, well, I've done this 10 years. It just started. Yeah, we, I mean, so Streetcar Bragging Rights itself started um, in 2022. We had our first event in March, March 2022. Mm -hmm. um, so 
we did that one and it basically transpired and, and I hate to say it this way because I'm not in any way trying to throw any event under the bus, but we would go around to a lot of events, uh, our small group of friends, and we bitched a lot. We would go to these races and, you know, we would get past first or second round and then because things just weren't ran right or organized properly, we're splitting pots, you know, we're splitting a couple hundred dollars after the second round. Um, you know, we would critique everything that, you know, the staff would do, the promoters would do. And we finally got to a point where it was, you know, we've said this a hundred times, but we, it's put up or shut up, you know, it's, we got to quit bitching about it. Yeah. Or if we're going to do this better, let's try it. And we sat down one day and was like, we're just going to do this. Um, so March of 2022, we had our first event. It was a single day event. Um, we had, I believe we had nine race classes. Um, and it went great. Um, you know, we, our car count was great. We had people from all over the country. Um, it was, we definitely kind of had expectations of our first year. It was going to be more of a local event. We had people driving 10, 12 hours. What, cla- what um, track was that one now? Was that- uh, Carolina Dragway. Carolina so that Dragway. is our home track. Um, you know, we live in Augusta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, Carolina Dragway, we, we basically live on, you know. It's, it's a, interesting to say Augusta, Georgia would be Carolina the, yeah, Dragway. Yeah, so it's, we live in Augusta. Um, the state line is South Carolina, Georgia right there. So the track, we pretty much, we go over the river um, and we're 15 minutes away from the yeah. track. Um, so we, we did have our first event there. Went off without a hitch. Did um, you model the rules after some other stuff that you liked already? We picked, or did you kind of yeah, duplicate no. rules? I think people often worry about that in, in promoting. Like, they think you have to have your own rule set. But ideally, racers don't want every event to have its own rule set. Very true. Um, so like, that copy was, another rule set. Yeah, no, that was a tough one. We, we spent a lot of time on rules. Um, we spent probably spent a month trying to come up with a name first of all of just the event itself mm-hmm. the rule set uh we we looked into just any streetcar event that we could find i mean we were looking into fl2k rules texas 2ks world cup anything that we could find we took a bunch of people's stuff and we kind of just picked it up the tx2k rules yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, we, i didn't know there was any streetcar rules there yeah and, and that's a big one you know we 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 also knew that we couldn't have a lot of rules. You know, a first-year event, we're trying to get as many cars there as possible. Mm-hmm. If you have these classes that have, you know, a rule book this thick of each class, especially starting off first year, you're not going to get a lot of cars. So a lot of stuff was, let's make it as loose as possible. Let's get people in these classes. Let's get feedback after, and then we'll start tightening it down from there. And essentially, you know, we're coming up on our third event. It'll be at Carolina Dragway again, three three-day event this time around. But that's that's what we did. We we actually put out a survey after our first race, and the survey was pushed towards the spectators and was pushed towards the racers. And depending on which one you were, you took a different survey, and it asked these questions. We wanted to know what we did well. We wanted to know what you didn't like. And, you know, we wanted every little detail that you could give us, and you know, the feedback that we got was it was overwhelmingly good, and we were really mm-hmm. surprised by that because as racers, you know. It's, it's easy to go to an event and say, ah, this was wrong, this was wrong. Yeah. Uh, after doing that, um, we were able to start tightening down classes. We were able to find out that, you know, people wanted different classes added. People were, you don't need this class. Uh, so that was a big one. Um, you know, 
listening to the racers, listening to everybody, finding out what people wanted. And that's, we stay very open even you know now. We, we want to know what people want, the racers want, what we can do to change, make things better. And it, it's been, what we're at now has just been a working of everybody's you know feedback. Yeah, and promoters need to kind of work together on these rules as well. I mean, I've talked with, you know, just, Justin and Chase with Streetcar Takeover and Victor, we've talked about rules a lot and how they change and how they try to slow down classes or speed up classes. And you look at like somebody like John Sears who does his rules for Ultra Street LDR. Yep. And once they add the rule book this thick, the car count starts to dwindle a little bit. The cost of entry starts to go up. And that's where it gets really tough. The streetcar is like this unlimited open class that we get to race in, but then that's the double-edged sword of you end up with what is basically a Pro 275 car yep, with, <laughs> with a, a radiator. <laughs> yeah, and a tag, a radiator this big that's actually filled with lead instead of <laughs> instead of an actual Great radiator. Stuff. I mean, we uh, that was a big one our first year. You know, we, we would have... We saw it in our all-motor class very specifically. Um, you know, we would have what in our minds when we were making the rules were these newer gen cars that were all-motor from the factory, and we're going to come out, and this was going to be our class, and it was going to be a high nine-second class, low ten. And then what we didn't realize is making rules is you know, there's some guys that would fit the rules that could come out and run bottom eights, and you've got 90% of your field back here, and then you got one or two guys up here, yeah. and it's tough because. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to disqualify those guys. You don't want to tell them like, "Hey, you built a fast car, and you're getting penalized for it." But also, you're trying to keep a car count, and you're trying to think keep things competitive. Mm -hmm. it, it's all around. You want the racers to know that it's competitive. You want them to be able to show up thinking they have a chance. Um, but also, from a spectator standpoint, you don't want to sit in the stands. You want to watch close races, mm -hmm. and you know that's something that. It's tough. That's rules. We talk about all the time out of all the stuff that we do throughout the year with the events, making rules for any class is the toughest thing we do. hundred percent. And I look at it as a racer standpoint and work with talk with promoters all the time about rules. And I think a lot of racers don't realize just because you built your car in a specific way doesn't mean you deserve to fit a class. Yep. Like um, it doesn't like it doesn't matter to me what you did to build your car in your certain way. You didn't. Like you have to build to the rules, and That's just a, because you built a you know a big block with a, what a NA big block that can go bottom eights or whatever it is a Honda that can go bottom eights on nitro methane doesn't mean you can fit an all motor class yep. in the spirit of the rules because you got to use that word too in the spirit of yeah. the class that, and that's. That's a weird one for us. It stuff like that is something that we also tried to avoid. Um, so we. We tried to avoid gray areas in any of the rules because a lot of rule sets and a lot of classes, there is so much gray area. That was one thing that we were very particular on. We wanted things to be black and white. We wanted when the rules came out, they didn't get changed. Even if we made a mistake to a degree, if rules come out and we've had one purchase by one person buy a tech card, we will not change the rules. Locked in. It's locked in. Um, and this is... It goes to our favor for the fact that the racers respect it, but there has been times where in the last couple of years where we've made rules and went, wow, we really shouldn't have done that. But they were out, tech cards were purchased, and it was just, it is what it is at this point. We'll get feedback going forward. We'll make changes, you know, going next year. 
But once the rules are in, they're there. That's why we we have a real hard time. We added our first fuel stipulation rule this year. Hmm, that's and a tough one. It is a tough one because how do you tech that? We know how to tech that. Yes, do but you know that? Are we? You can technically, but the labor to do that is huge, and the machines to do that aren't exactly. Because yep. I assume you're talking about methanol. Yep. Okay, so methanol in a streetcar class. We've talked about this many a times in my friend group, and it's probably the same conversation you have. Do oh, yeah. you tech after every single pass, every single car? Are you at their trailers while they're fueling? Are we taking, you know, oil sample? I know, like, World Cup was taking oil samples in their yeah. motor class this year, and they were sending them off the laps. What percentage of my ethanol can be methanol before it's methanol? Before you're crossing a line. Yeah, so if I put a 50-50 blend... Is that methanol? So that was tough for us. We we added that rule, and it was probably the first time that we added what we call it's not a gray area rule, but it's it's really it is it's left up to the racers, in my opinion, to be honest with us and to be honest with themselves. And that's tough because everybody we're racing, we're competing, everybody's looking for an edge. So mm-hmm. with that one, we added it. We we're still discussing how we're going to go about it, what we're going to do this year with it. We also don't want to be, you know, those guys that are sitting around and taking fuel samples in between rounds. Um, yeah, it just doesn't make – it doesn't make sense for a time span, standpoint of yep. a one-day race yep. where if your race is one day and you're trying to qualify and race in the same day, Streetcar Takeover does this. And how do you how do you manage with manpower to do that? It's possible, but uh, yeah. hopefully we don't have to, you know, get to that point with it. So we'll see. Uh, well, even like M5, M1, there's like levels of fuel. There's differences with it. You know, it's... But then, because uh, we can talk about the rule aspect of it, I, I always just think if it's visible, like it has to have an intercooler, can't have a front-mounted fuel cell. Like I don't care about doors really or any windows or anything like that. I would think minimum weight is more important because, you know, things that you can like a GTR tech. has, you know, carbon fiber doors and and aftermarket windows and still weighs 4000 pounds. That's where it gets weird. Like yep. like Hellcats, I've seen that, too. They're all stripped down as light as possible and they're a thousand pounds heavier than a Fox yep. body. So how do you how, how do you argue that without it becoming a Fox body class? It's. We're learning that, uh, you know, minimum weights in classes are, are a big one. So we've, up until this year, our heavyweight class was the only class that we had that would go across the scales. Um, what the was class, the weight on that? 4,200 pounds. We, that's with driver, and we allow up to 200 pounds of ballast. Do you allow Mustangs in that class? Yes. If, they've, okay. if, they, if you can fit it and it's, you know, if you can fit, you know, with a heavier driver and you're not going over 200 pounds of ballast, you know, we don't want somebody coming out and loading their car up with four or 500 pounds yeah. of house. On top of, you know, you just really trying to bend the rules there, it gets dangerous whenever you start adding that type of ballast. Yeah, NHRA only texts cages to a weight and an ET. So once yeah. you get to a certain weight, your cage cert is no longer it's relevant. So yeah. you kind of have to balance with that too. But I think um, TX2K did that where they did no Mustangs in the heavyweight class. Even if they fit, I saw that. Yep. it was just an easier answer to do no Mustangs. We actually we added a weight to our all-motor class this year, and that was 
we got a lot of gripe about it. You know, that one was, that was new. We went up to 3,400 pounds oh, for wow. all motor class. And even for like a four cylinder? Yes. Just so across the board. Across the board. <laughs> and the thing is we, with our all motor class, we haven't seen a four cylinder entry yet. And, you know, obviously if that's something that we work up to, then we'll have to look at those rules again. Um, but currently, you know, it's, it's a lot of newer Mustangs. It's a lot of newer Camaros and stuff. And these guys, we've had some, you know, come out. We've had some 23, 2400 pound Fox bodies get in the class yeah. and they destroy the class and they run it over. And again, it's tough because, you know, we're essentially punishing those guys for fitting the rules the first time around. Well, they, what happens is a nitrous car just doesn't put a nitrous bottle in. Exactly. And suddenly that's it's an all motor car. And that's exactly what happens. And that's, I think they're so sneaky. And it, it sucks because, you know, these, you know, there's there's literally guys in particular that have showed up to our races and done well at our races. And we are technically now saying, hey, you no longer fit this class. And it's 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 like you said, making rules is tough. And yeah. it's the worst part of everything because we piss people off in the process. <laughs> you know, um, you know, this we don't want to do that. But we also, like I said, we want to keep the classes as close as possible as competitive as possible and when that starts happening you got to draw a line somewhere yeah and you have to base it off the engine combo not as much like like in world cup they deal with this where they have to base it off the engine combo not how fast that particular car may have went that's trying to get in and trying to fight the rules a little bit and push back on things i'm sure you get messages like hey if you just lighten up on this one spot i can get in Get them all the time. Yeah, um, I did that to you. So, yeah, no, yeah, um, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, you, um, but I was more speaking for the community of my yeah. engine combo, and it was something that. that we learned. You know, and yeah. as as new promoters, um, you know, and the thing is, if you're in the race community and you, but are, I'll take any opportunity to bitch. So just to <laughs> lay that out there, <laughs> if you're in the race community and you know you you grow up focused and driving one or two types of cars, you don't know a lot about others you don't know you know in your situation i didn't know a lot of guys use nitrous to spool y'all's turbos and yeah. finding out you know and looking more into it i actually you know i spoke with you a little bit more about it um that it's not really a matter of you're using nitrous to make more power it's you don't really have much of a choice like you're you're having to spool your turbo yeah. and it's one of those things where we looked at it was like you know and we did make that change um you know but it like I said, you know, whenever you reached out, I was like, nope, sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, no, and I get it. It's it, the rule that I was talking about was there was no night, no dual power adders. No dual power adders. And most classes, they say no dual power adders for V8s. You can have nitrous on a six-cylinder or a four-cylinder because to run with the V8s, yep. it, it allows the playing field to be a little more level. And that's kind of the only thought behind it. And that's not a difficult thing to tech. In, no, not in at all. any aspect. So that's why it kind of works for rules because there's no 2J car without nitrous that's running as fast as yeah. these Coyotes or LSs. So it just it just made sense in that aspect. And I didn't even run that race. I just was letting you know for a rule standpoint yep. that this is something that most people may not realize. And you weren't the only one that reached out. And that was, you know, whenever especially if we have more than one person, it's like, okay, we need to look into this. We yeah. need to go, okay, you know, where where is this something that we need to fix? Because there is outliers. You know, we have people that will reach out to us that will be very special cases where it it is not across the board. They're just 
they want their combo to yep. work for that class. And sometimes it's not fair to do that. Yeah. The guy that built the car that doesn't fit any class yep. that suddenly wants to fit a class. I, yeah. I mean, I've seen that as well. I've, I've been in driver's meetings where people are arguing about a certain car that fits, but everybody kind of wants it out. But then everybody wants to be an outlaw racer where they have no rules yep. until somebody comes in and kicks everybody's teeth in. <laughs> yeah, that was that was another big one with us when we when we started everything. You know, that was we would go to races and uh, I tell people a story all the time. I showed up to a race that I spent literally hours the night before, stayed up late, putting in my back seats, and I had an Audi S5 at the time and putting the seats in. I mean, it took all night. It wasn't just a matter of just, you know, clicking them in. It was, it was a process, um, you know, getting all the seat belts back in properly. Yeah. And I show up to this race because rear seats were required and we get there and there's a couple of people without back seats and I end up running a guy that didn't have back seats, didn't fit the rules, but because they wanted a car count that day, which I get, you know, we were, we understand that aspect of it. He was allowed to race. I lost the race you know, first round. And it's, it's tough because you're like, man, I did what I was supposed to do. I showed up to this race to fit yeah. the rules that y'all put on a flyer, y'all sent out. And now I'm here. And now I lose to a guy who y'all just want him to run because, well, you need cars in the class. Yeah. Your side of the street was clean. You could have potentially went on, but like you said, no car count, which would have probably meant the payout would have sucked anyways. Yep. You know, if you kick those four cars out, suddenly you got half a field. Suddenly car count's gone. Suddenly payout sucks. Suddenly the next event doesn't happen. It kind of is that snowball effect. Catch-22 with all the stuff. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's all very... Um, we're learning a lot as we go. <laughs> yeah. And that's where it's tough, too, because racers love finding the gray area, and if it doesn't say you need all that stuff... They're gonna find oh, yeah. it. If anybody's going to find a gray area, it is a racer in any sport. You know, they're but I mean that's that's all of us. We're all looking for that competitive edge on what we yeah. can and cannot do. Some of us push it a little further than what's needed, but Yeah. I mean I, like the thing with nitrous cars running up to no time or um to no power at her events, like that makes it tough for anybody else because nitrous cars are usually pretty light. I've seen James Tall did that once where he took the nitrous off his two forty and suddenly it was this car with fender yeah, exit exhaust in an NA car, in an NA uh, class, and, you know, you could beat everybody like yep. that. But then you have the transmission rules, which the overdrive class started to become a thing down here. Victor did, like, one or two of them, and then it got completely beat up by Jim Braun in a Mustang. Yep. And then <laughs> All it, it takes is one person. I mean, yes. it, we see that with a lot of stuff, and then you got to start drawing back rules. Um Oddly enough, we just sold out our first class. You know, we're four months out from our streetcar bragging rights event um, in May, but the first class to sell out was the no time overdrive class. So huh. we have a 32 car field that, you know, we sold out, I think probably three or four days ago and everybody's locked in. And it was, we've talked about it, kind of blew my mind. It was not the class yeah. that I thought was going to go first. Um, but in, of all things, that's, that's a Thursday night. You know hmm. this class, and it's no time overdrive. No time overdrive. What so, did what were 
the majority of the cars. Were they Mustangs? Were they newer body style? Majority, like, yeah. Um, that's, whatever S five fifties, probably with the six L. I'd say that's that's probably fifty percent of that class. Yeah. Um, there's there's multiple uh, CTS Vs though. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, some Hellcats stuff. How like that. stiff are you on no time? Because that's the other thing is like our Florida no time. They're one of the classes is open. Like you, like I can get in it even though I've showed times. One of them, if you showed times in the last, you know, nine months to a year, you're not getting in the class. So this class in particular is a no time, no ticket class, but we are not restricting it if you've showed times. Yeah. Um, we've gone through that. Our we have a small tire shootout that's also going to be happening Friday um, of our event. That class itself is a no time shown this calendar year. So January 1st to May 10th, yeah. you can't show times and get in that class. Yeah, because some of those guys get pretty Yeah, we, pretty we tried that. About that. We, uh, yeah. we, we did that um, last year. It was the first time we introduced a small tire class, and we had, I think, two class cars sign up. You know, these guys that have ran at Donald Long's events. Yep. As soon as a flyer went up with them on it, uh, we just getting messages left and right, like, hey, what's going on with this? And it was a new world for us. You know, that wasn't something that we've done before. And it was a quick learning curve, like, yeah, you're going to run off all your no-time guys because you let this one car in. Yep. And it doesn't matter how slow or fast that, that time car has been. They do not care. If that thing well, is most no-time times. guys have been slow, and they just are hiding yep. that. So the the overdrive shootout, though, it is uh, – you can, you can show times. Um, we tried that to where we opened that up to where it was going to be very similar. And we don't typically get a car count for that. So yeah. we've also found out there's a lot of no-time guys, especially in our area, that are no-time overdrive guys, and they won't run shootouts. So they'll just grudge race? That's it. That's boring. That is it. They will. It doesn't matter if it's a four-car shootout. They will not get in it. Hmm. And when we talk to them and we're like, guys, you know, like, come on now. I mean, there's, you know, $10,000 on the line in this yeah. class. It's. I'd have to make four or five passes to get to that ten grand when I can just go race this guy for ten grand, make one pass. That's so weird to me. <laughs> grudge racing is so to me, grudge racing's so boring. I don't wanna go back and forth with a group of people for more than a second arguing about anything, any stipulation, yep. anything like that. I'll just deal with the class racing. I don't know. That just doesn't make any sense to me. That's so weird that people are. It's a different that. world. Because um, down in Florida, we are very different than you guys are in the Carolinas and in Georgia, North Georgia. We don't have as much grudge racing. We don't have as much no time racing. We don't have as much no prep racing. It is such a different. I feel like we are very much like a, a grudge racing like mecca in our area. Between 100%. Darlington, Carolina. Uh, we've got a, tons of smaller tracks that people just don't even know about that are all through the Carolinas. Um, we've got Orangeburg, you know, stuff like that. And these class racing at a lot of these tracks, this isn't even a thing. Um, these tracks open the gates on weekdays, and it is just grudge race after grudge race after grudge race. And that's that's what I grew up around. Mm-hmm. You know, that was going to the track, going to Carolina Dragway. Growing up, I'd go to, um, you know, Mike Hill events and, you know, we still to this day, and he's still out there. He puts on some of the biggest events there are out there. But that was, that was the world we were used to. You know, getting out and going doing class racing. It's it is completely different. 
Yeah, because even like Orlando sometimes does grudge events, but they're so uncommon and everybody's on the starting line. You got to drive through a group of people to get to the to get from the burnout box to the staging lanes, like to the light. You have to actually like there, run people over. There are races in our area. Um, uh, Jamie uh, Triggerman, uh, he's putting on one that, you know, these guys, it's one of the first races of the year. And it's, um, is this at Orangeburg, Matt? This is at Orangeburg, uh, first ass cutting of the year is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And it is, there's hundreds of grudge races that just get locked in months mm -hmm. before. And they're, this is what everybody shows up for. I mean, from the spectator side, you know, everybody's going because there is this grudge race, there's this grudge yeah. race. And it's radial tire, yep. not, not no prep grudge racing. Like there's so many different styles of racing. And I, I try not to even get involved in those ones because they're just not what I do. I just I try for the radial tire shootouts. That's kind of my problem with all this is the more I get around it, the more involved in all of it I want to be. Um, you know, we, we actually just recently kind of dialed back our name from streetcar bragging rights to just bragging rights. Mm -hmm. And that's because we want to be able to open up to doing more events. Um, you know, I, I want to be able to potentially down the road do a drag and drive bragging rights, a no prep bragging rights. And these are like, these are worlds that I haven't even been a part of, but you know, that's, like I said, it's kind of my issue with the uh, with the promoting stuff. I really want to be involved with as much of it yeah. as possible. It's hard for me to focus on. Let's just do this. Well, once you understand promoting, you can kind of promote any event, any style, where most of these new promoters don't really get it, and I'm sure most of their first events will take out the new promoters right on the first event as they attempt to and lose their ass. Yeah. Um, I've heard of quite a few that are like, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've talked to a bunch of promoters, and most of them said basically their first event, they lost their ass and had to. We were pretty fortunate. Our first one, um, we actually didn't. I was <laughs> To this day is the only event that we've put on that made money. Oh. Um, it. You know, we weren't crazy in the green, but we were in the green. Um, and that's honestly more than anything was just came down to our sponsors. We, our first year, we picked up so many local sponsors that, you know, it made it to where 90% of our payouts were covered. Um, we were pretty much almost in the green before, you know, spectators even showed up. Oh, cool. So outside of that, our last couple of events, we just, we throw so much into it. Uh, you know, it's not one of the, if we, if we opened the gates and just said, come on and didn't do 90% of the stuff we did, we would, we'd make a killing at this point. Yeah. I was really impressed watching some of the photos and videos from your burnout contest just by the amount of detail there was on the branding of yourself, the scoring, the people you had there, like. Everybody got like a box with some stuff in it. I was like, oh, that's like, that's that extra like 20% yeah, we, that most people wouldn't do. We definitely try to go over the top. Um, you know, we, we started doing stuff um, back at my shop. We started doing pretty much like car meets. And we did, the whole game plan was whenever we started all the stuff, we were going to do like three or four of them a year. It was going to be like a seasonal thing. And right from the rip we had a band we had food trucks and we had a fireworks show you know this is at an industrial complex nice. where we hired a professional fireworks yeah. guy they come you know shoot fireworks on a friday night with a parking lot just full of a bunch of people um and our 
our burnouts for kids, our first burnout competition was actually at a shop also. I mean, it was, yeah, it, we luckily the shop, well, the business behind us, uh, they had a bunch of concrete Jersey barriers. Um, they held sod and stuff in it. So we rented, uh, um, a forklift, went back there and borrowed all their <laughs> concrete Jersey barriers and set them up in the parking lot to have this little area. And well, at least you started with safety. Yeah. Most of these burnout contests start with like, oh, it's just an open parking lot and everybody's standing close to it. Yeah, that's a big one for us. I mean, we, we know going into everything that we're not in a position where if somebody gets hurt, <laughs> you know, yeah. insurance is very expensive for all this stuff. And it's it can very quickly with these cars, caliber cars. Um, I mean, our last burnout competition, we got guys out there like Adam Kelly that, you know, these are full-blown methanol yeah. you know, vehicles that are pushing that to the absolute limit. So. Yeah, people don't realize those are serious burnout vehicles. Yeah. They are not just like your I mean, we had, to, we had to have a talk with, you know, just the our guys, our volunteers, you know, like, hey, I know you're on fire extinguisher duty. Mm -hmm. I know I told you that, you know, if you see a fire, you get out there and you put it out. But this car, this car, this car, this car got to be a little more careful with. Well, most methanol fires you can't actually see. It, Some methanol, they add additives in it so you can see it, but a lot of methanol you can't actually visibly see when it's on fire. So it gets pretty scary. Yeah, that was that was definitely, um, I mean, even while doing this event this year, and we take a ton of precautions, you know, to make sure that everybody is safe. You know, nobody's standing in an area where anything can go wrong. But at the end of the day, it's, it's just like being up on a starting line. Um, you know, if a car blows up, sends a rod, mm -hmm. you know, it, anything's possible at any point. So we do just about everything that we can, you know, and we're kind of just it's a cross your fingers kind of thing until it's over. Yeah, I kind of have to hold your breath a little bit as <laughs> yeah. some of the badass cars really go out there and they're 10,000 RPM big block and you're watching the blower sing and you're like, uh, yeah, we actually, so the burnout competition this year, we did out on the center of the racetrack. Um, so we, you know, they're, these guys are either, some of them getting inches away from the wall. Some of mm -hmm. them unfortunately slap the wall pretty good and yeah, you know, things go As flying. They do. <laughs> As they do. I mean, I've been around quite a few burnout contests and I've seen the danger pretty firsthand yep. and, it usually takes a learning curve, which a learning curve on an event can be dangerous, where the first one, you know, you have hardly any fencing or jersey barriers or anything, and then you you don't really have enough events for a learning curve of safety. Yeah, our first one, um, even with the jersey barriers, going back, just looking at it, it was like, wow, that was really dumb. We we had people literally on the Jersey barriers. Yeah. They were, they were right there. And granted, these were not your normal Jersey barriers. These were the big, you know, concrete yeah. block ones, but we let people get way too close. Um, we, we didn't give a timer. <laughs> there was, oh, gosh. you kind of just went till you didn't yeah. want to go anymore. Uh, so still to this day, like the asphalt beside one of my shops is just, I mean, there's holes this deep from mm -hmm. guys that would blow the tires and just, I mean, they were letting their rims, Yep. eat until they weren't there anymore well aluminum wheels are scary the that gets dangerous the gaps jersey barriers have this gap in the yep. bottom area where things will come out and launch out i've like i said i've seen it all i've, I've actually talked with garrett about him making like a like a 
this is the way you should do it type of thing for burnouts and kind of just put that out there yeah, because people are doing them and it's getting and they're I, not as safe. So it almost dampens the whole sport if people are doing it dangerously. Definitely needs to be some regulation to it. Um, there's we've seen a lot of people that, you know, are starting to do these because they just have concrete pads in their backyard. And, yeah. you know, it's obviously it's better than uh, takeover, you know, out in the middle of an intersection. But. You know, we're at a point now where we have we have a fire extinguisher sponsor. You know, this year we had 30 fire extinguishers out there ready to go. We have certain people that are in place. We're teching these vehicles to the point where we're going and we're checking to make sure there's no wheel weights. Um, you know, it's it's little stuff like that. And, yep. You know, we we have a pretty strenuous rule set that we send out to all the drivers that they you know they know what they're coming into for tech. Um, but those things have to happen. Is you know, especially you're seeing that. When there's more money on the line, there's people are willing to send it a lot further. Um, these burnout vehicles are becoming insane. I mean, Adam Kelly is a prime, you know, number one. You know, when it comes to this, is they're hard on they're hard on their stuff for sure. And, I mean, they they show up to win. You yeah, know, and they so when you put up money, people are going to show up to win that money. That is true. It's kind of the inevitable deal, and obviously, skids for kids. They they go all over the country. They do that. Shout out to them. They have a bunch of burnout cars that show up all over the place yep. and you guys have a similar kind of vision on your yep so yeah we we um ha actually had andrew out as one of our celebrity judges this year mm -hmm. um you know we had 10 celebrity judges during it that was was something that i talked to him a little more about it you know trying to get you know he's definitely making a hard push for trying to get a majority of the U.S. kind of on the same page with their burnout competitions. You know, it, it benefits everybody when there's rule sets that are similar. Um, saw it whenever, you know, these things first started coming. It was people that want them were people who destroyed their shit the most. Yeah. That was kind of the thing. And then, you know, you got guys that they don't want to wreck their vehicles and they stop showing up because they know if they don't crash their car into a wall, they're not going to win the competition. Yeah, crashing and fires should be a DQ you're not winning, 100%, and they're starting to be. Yeah, that was a big big thing that we went over with our judges. And I will say we do not have, you know, a exact criteria. Whenever we go into us, we tell the judges, like, hey, look, you know, driver's skill, their tip in, the amount of smoke, you know, the show that they put on, we want you to take all this into account. But, you know, this is personal opinion on how you feel yep. they did. Only thing that we ask, if they hit the wall, you know, a, a light brush where it's like, wow, that was cool, you know, just maybe a little paint swap is one mm -hmm. thing. Whenever you actually hit a wall or, you know, you get yourself in a situation where it's, it's dangerous also. Yeah, if you prove that you have proximity and you know where your car was and you just very different slightly touch the wall versus yeah. crashing. So <laughs> we're, we're very we're very vocal to the judges and the drivers if you hit a wall, your points are going to be deducted heavily, and that's not what we want. How do you handle, so tech, how do you handle the drag racing tech? Because that's a tricky one because these cars are so easy to go so fast, and safety is usually the third priority on uh, drivers, and it's so, especially a no-time class. I mean, that's, you really can't safety tech a no-time class because technically you're not supposed to know how fast they're going. Yep, so one of the biggest and if you're at an NHRA track, then you have different. 
you know, deals that you have to deal with. So Carolina Dragway is a NHRA sanctioned track. So we do have to, you know, abide by that. And luckily, you know, the newer rule set that has came out because the NHRA has realized that a lot of these cars are getting faster, but a lot of the newer cars are also much safer already yeah. from the factory. Um, so, you know, that works to our favor. But one of the messages that I get the most in my inbox and the bragging rights inbox is, hey, man, my car does this. I don't have this. Am I good? And we turn away people all the time. You know, we, we don't want people showing up to where, you know, it, it's huge liability for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't want anybody, we don't want a big accident at any of our events. And when we go, yeah, this car just made an eight-second pass and he has no cage, I mean, that's on us. You know, yeah, it's on us. shirt and jeans. It's on us to allow that. So tech is... Tech is actually something we made a lot of changes to compared to how I think any event is ran. We we have a class official for every single one of our classes. So there is a person that is in charge of their class. And the way we do this is that was something that other events that we went to that we felt needed to be changed was how tech is done and how much time tech is for a lot of events. I know you've sat in a tech line for probably way too long, multiple times. Yeah, um, it's been uh, scrutinized my fair share. <laughs> so so what we do is we actually have all the tech cards filled out ahead of time. Um, and everybody has a driver packet. You know, Summit is one of our sponsors. So we have everything in a bag. We have their class stickers, their card numbers, um, their tech cards ready to go. And we operate tech as a drive-through. So you come in, you never get out your car. You tell them your first and last name. They have everything, you know, in alphabetical order. They bring it up. They hand you your tech card. You sign off on your tech card. They hand you your bag. And then this is where we have separate lines once you get past this point for each individual class. Mm -hmm. And your class official is there. So you'd pull up, you know, say you're in the heavyweight class, you would go through the single file line with everybody. You would get your stuff, and then you would pull into your lane. Yeah. Your class official is then now teching your car. And the big thing with that is it's not one person trying to tech 350 cars in a single day. We now have nine people that are teching just their class. Yeah. And it it, it does wonders. Um, you well, know, that's where most events also cap out at is 300, 350 is usually about that. It's number. usually about what any track can run in one event. So now you've got, you know, let's say you're in the all motor class. You've now, you've gone through tech. You are now with your class official. You, you have somebody to communicate with. Yeah. Now for the remainder of the weekend, you're looking for the guy that is wearing, you know, we have every class has a specific color coordinated car number, tech card, and the class official is wearing, you know, a shirt that is color coordinated with it. Okay. You're also immediately getting put into a WhatsApp group where you're not in a WhatsApp group with everybody. You're in a WhatsApp group with your class official. Yeah, so they can tell you when your class is up and stuff like yeah. that. Man, those little things like that are so important to racers. Just the simple stuff. Yeah. It's like that that little bit extra. And I hate when events don't do that. Like. The WhatsApp stuff is not that tough. It's a QR code, <laughs> it's, and you can put yeah. people in a group pretty quickly. We're actually working on a streetcar bragging rights app that is going to, you know, you're going to be able to do those things within it. Um, yeah. There will be a messaging type service that 
unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have it ready for this year's event, but uh, we are making a hard push to get everything done to at least have it you know, for 2025 to be done. That's cool. That, that'll be um, that'll be a cool breath of fresh air to drag racing in our decaying, not decaying, but like dinosaur-esque sport yes. where everything's <laughs> hand filled out. Like if anybody's ever seen like a timing system at a track, they're like DOS. I got my like the oldest system you've ever seen in your life. I got to operate one at our track for the first time about a month ago. And well, it's been a little longer than that. Um, but it blew my mind. Surprisingly uh, it, outdated. It's it, it was it was very mind boggling. You know, there's no mouse. I'm up there, you know, all F1, all F2 shift this and you're on a black and white screen or a yeah. green and black screen. Things are printing out like tick, 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 yep. tick, 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 like it's, a freaking old ass. Yeah, we, me and a buddy of mine are actually currently discussing, uh, you know, what can be done about that. And, you know, we've got a couple people involved that, you know, there's there's got to be a better way. There's like one guy that can service that stuff too. And like if you have an issue, it's like this one dude. Yep. That That's does it. it for the whole country. Everything is... It's crazy. The first time I heard about that, they're like, oh, yeah, like, we're just trying to get a hold of the guy. I'm like, the guy? Like, yeah. that's it? Really close friend of mine that he knows absolutely nothing about drag racing. We, he helps out a lot of the events, and I showed him the system, and he's a very tech-savvy guy, and he was just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, what is happening right now? It's concerning. Now? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we... we we well, saw Bradenton's some... had lightning strikes that take down their systems yeah. quite a few times, you know, like it happens, like a lightning hits a tower, a timing system, and suddenly got some burnt up parts. Yeah. We've discussed new ways of doing things, bringing in some type of software where, you know, you maybe have an RFID scanner that is in the water box and mm -hmm. you have a chip or something, you know, on your windshield where it gets scanned or a barcode that gets scanned as you come through and all your information about your vehicles, you know, already stored in there. So you don't have somebody sitting there on a computer upstairs yeah. typing it all in. The announcers are reading cards at yeah. the back of a card, whatever <laughs> so, you write on there. Yeah. So the so announcer knows about your car. There's, there's definitely a lot of things that you know, I won't go into detail because I don't want anybody with a bunch of money running and doing it before us. But oh, there's... if you got a bunch of money, don't get involved in this. <laughs> yeah, no, there's other way more profitable things that's you can do. One. But yeah, there, there's definitely there's the timing systems that tracks. Definitely, we've got to figure out a way to kind of move with the times on those. And I will say, uh, you know, the the folk, you know, our ticketing site that a lot of people are starting to use. Um, Michael over there, they're doing a lot of really cool stuff. They're they're introducing ways that, you know, we can have drivers fill out tech cards ahead of time mm -hmm. and then integrate them into CompuLink systems where it's, you know, we're now shifting everything over. We're not having to fill out as much stuff. Oh, that's cool. So I know Garrett uses them pretty heavily and there's like approval that they've built in for cars. It's awesome. It makes our life 10,000 times easier. He um, seems like, or whatever, whoever runs the FOAT seems like actual like car focused yes. not That's just like thing. a random ticketing website. so we used like our first couple of events that we did like at my shop we used i believe it was called ticket spice or something like that and you know these are all great services but they're just overall event focused so we we got on the phone and we set that up for the first time and i mean it's amazing it is very race centered it's we can we can make it to where like one big thing that we do is we only, you know, most tracks allow three crew members per team. Mm -hmm. So I can actually, you know, we we give 
crew members badges, you know, that allows them up on the line during the weekend during our events. But we actually set it up to where, you know, because of the FOAT, the way it works, we can have it set up to where if you don't buy a driver ticket, you can't buy a crew pass. So this is locked until yep. you purchase this. It's little things like that that just make using the FOAT versus, you know, any other ticketing site way better in my opinion. You know who has a real... Uh, I don't know if you've been to World Cup, but they have a real strict badge policy. They have a real strict badge. Oh policy. man, Jason I, Miller's got them <laughs> locked down tight. Like they'll they'll clip your badge yes. if you're up, like they're by class. Yep. And if you're up there and it's not your class, they'll clip it. And if you get like three so clips, many clips, you're out. You're out. They'll take the badge they, um, and you're done. They do that with media also. So media, they yeah, you have certain zones. There's you certain can be zones in. that you can be in, and, and you know if you're in a zone that you're not supposed to be in, they'll they'll clip it. And if you get a certain, you know. Too many clips, you're out. Well, it's a solid system. Changed a lot too because anybody can claim media and try to get in there. Yeah, media is tough. Um, I think that's one thing we also do a little differently. And you know, this isn't a knock any any event, but knock the event. We name them. We <laughs> we we have a lot of media people that show up to our events, and we don't charge them. I, I don't think any person that is you know helping promote your event at no cost should ever have to pay to be there. And yeah, there is there's a line with that. There is you have to figure out who's media, who's not media, and who's promoting versus just post their photos after. Yeah, so posting the photos a week after doesn't help promote your event. There's a lot of requirements for media at a lot of events that are crazy to me. Um, I've seen a lot of events, and I think this is a very universal thing. So I'll probably catch a bunch of flack for this, but you know there is these events and these promoters require media turn over a very specific amount of photos, watermark free, mm -hmm. you know, and if they don't turn over three, four, 500 photos from the event specifically to them without a watermark, then they don't, they can't get a badge the following year. Oh, interesting. And these same people are paying to be there. They're buying you know, spectator tickets yeah, to come into game. Hundred dollar tickets. It's crazy to me. Um, so we do not charge any media. Again, there there is a vetting process with us. You know, we yeah. you, know, you can't just send us an email and say, hey, you know, I I have this Instagram and it has you know X amount of followers and I'm going to show up with my camera and go live. You know, I mean, obviously there is a line with what media is, and like you said, anybody can claim to be media at this point, um, but. You know, we, the amount of growth that we've had so rapidly is very much due to the media. The people that come out and get us more exposure, mm -hmm. they're posting pictures, they're saying where they were at, they're saying that they're going there this weekend, they're putting out schedules for the year and we're yeah. on it. These are the types of things. You that, try to get on their watermark instead of exactly you know, the you, opposite way. They, you want your logo on the watermark with them. And it's, it's awesome, you know, a week or two after the event, whenever we start seeing, you know, just and the amount of photographers and videographers that come out that are all very different. Um, you know, it, there'll be photos of the same exact car almost at the exact same time, and they are just completely different photos because this photographer has an eye for this, this photographer mm -hmm. has an eye for that. One thing we actually incorporated into Streetcar Bragging Rights this year for the first time is we have at the very bottom of the ticketing link, the FOAT, we have where you can add on a ticket for $10 and you can 
obviously add as many as you want, but is it a direct donation to every media person that we'll have at our event? Oh, that's cool. So, you know, I wish we could pay everyone. Um, obviously, we can't. We have, you know, 50, 75 media members show up. We can't pay everybody for their photos. Mm-hmm. And I wish we could because it'd be awesome. But so this is something that we started, and I hope more people kind of get on board with this, and I hope our racers that are continuing to sign up continue to buy these tickets because at the end of the day, if we have 50 media people out there and we're able to hand them each, even if it's 50 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it covers a little bit of gas, the media guys and girls that come to our events, some of these people travel 10 hours, you know, and they're doing it on their own dime. They're not getting paid. So we feed Some them. of them are good enough to get sponsors or yes. or. Not good enough, but good enough at talking to sponsors yeah. to get sponsors. Yeah, there's a lot of them that, you know, are. But are some of them getting, don't even have that ability no. to make those. We have tons of them that come out and, you know, and some of them, they don't even have a care to do that. You know, they don't they don't want a bunch of sponsors on their photos mm-hmm. and stuff. They they solely just really enjoy doing it and they want to come out and, you know, take pictures at the events. There's others that are trying to, you know, build up, get more clientele. An early and current Motion Raceworks things that they've always done that I always thought was the best marketing move was having Mike Preika out there taking all these photos and putting up just mass albums of Motion Raceworks watermark yep. photos Absolutely. of everybody's car. So anytime anybody posted the photo, no, there no, like there. there was no like a watermark across it where it was stopping the photo, but it was just Motion Raceworks yep, right down on the bottom. bottom. And I think that was like a huge huge marketing move on their part it was it was genius on on their whole deal but that was uh that was kind of an early thing i noticed motion doing um the the big hot button though is live feeds i really enjoy a live feed at a race especially i understand the local thing you don't get people there i don't think that's exactly true but there's a lot of discussion about live feeding events i'm very i'm very i don't know how to put this I'm, I stand on, a, uh, on the line with that. I, I think that it's very dependent on the event, what type of event it is. Um, you know, we had Flow Racing get on board with us for Streetcar Bragging Rights last year, and that was huge for us. Um, when you're especially new and you can say, hey, you know, Flow is streaming our event, that was huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a really big deal, and I think that it did us way more good than bad. I think you have drivers that whenever they find out that there's a big streaming partner that they classify in their head as a bigger event. So, you know, that helps. Um, I don't know where that line is of where somebody goes. I'm not going to show up to the track today because I can sit here on my phone and watch it. I have personally been in situations where, you know, I'm 15 minutes from Bradenton, but I'm, I can't go to the track three days in one weekend. Yeah. So I'll just watch one of the days at my house while I'm doing some stuff and then go one of the days where that helps with me. But then sometimes where there's no streaming, I won't even end up making it to the track. Unfortunately, there was a situation in one of the local tracks that were very anti-live feed saying no live feed, you got to show up in person. But then I don't think attendance was very good either. And that kind of is where you get into that boat where do you blame the live feed anymore or is it just promotion? Yeah, itself, yeah. I, like, it's, 
I've had this conversation with a hundred people and mm -hmm. I really just don't know. I don't, I don't yeah. know that I have an answer. I don't, you know, my opinion is that if somebody from, if you want to go to the racetrack, you're going to go to the racetrack. Mm -hmm. I don't think a live feed is going to stop you for the most part. Well, and flow does pay a little bit. I've, from what I've heard to events. Yes. As uh, well. Yep. So obviously, you know, the bigger the event, the more, the more money they can generate, you know, for ad revenue. And, you know, if somebody, you know, your event is going to bring in just subscribers, you know, because that's, that's a big one. You know, whenever, for the longest time, World Cup and, you know, FL2K was the only reason why I would subscribe to Flow. Mm -hmm. And I would get on there specifically for that. So it's one of those things, you know, the more you can do for them, obviously, the more they can help out with that. But I... As long as there's streaming services that are offered for our events, I'm going to continue to push them. I'm going to continue to try to have those partners. I don't think at any point, especially in the near future, that that's going to be something that I would go, no, we don't want this. We want people to show up. We think this is hurting, you know, spectator count. So, Yeah, there's no live sporting event that says we're not. We're not going to show you it live. You're going to have to show up at the stadium. <laughs> it's kind of the, that was one of the big ones that, you know, somebody, I didn't even think about it for quite some time. I was very like, oh man, there's all these people going live. And, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it with grudge races where, you know, somebody will go live on the starting line. And then you'll look at the feed and there'll be seven, 800 people on that feed. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh wow. Like how many of these people were reliant on that and didn't show up? But like you're saying, the biggest sporting events in the world are all televised yeah. and you know it, they're selling out stadiums still you know there's you have to in my opinion a promoter has to make the event so good in person that yes the live is great but the in-person experience Absolutely. is just so much better that you're just mad that you're not there and it's the next best thing not oh the live is actually better because you know, I don't have to be there for everything. You have to compete with the live yeah, for sure. in a way to make sure. that experience so much better. And I think that's where a lot of promoters don't realize is sitting at a racetrack for nine hours to watch 300 cars go down or whatever it is. Some of these radial races where 50% of them actually don't get down. It's it's pretty nice to watch the yeah. live. We've got to do more. Um, you know, we all got to do more. We've got to find a way that yeah, I joke around and I don't call it downtime. I call it tractor time, and mm -hmm. that's you know when when the tractor's going up and down. It's like we've got to we got to find a way to make sure that during that period it's not just dead. You know, yeah. and I don't know. You know, NHRA has been picking up on this. You know, NHRA has a DJ now, so. You know, that would make me stay home 100%. <laughs> but, you know, incorporating... I, that would keep me away from and I, the I, I know your views on music, but, you know, for, for the most part, you know, people, it's, it's something else to kind of keep them involved whenever yeah. there's not anything else going on. Uh, no, I get, I get that. There's, there's got to be something in between because the cars, you can't rely on them enough because it's this variable that may not work out quite well enough there a little bit of drizzle could cause a four hour delay three hour delay yeah it's not huge but there goes everyone granted events don't care because they already paid for the spectators the spectators already paid anyways when you think about big sporting events you know like the nfl stuff like that baseball when is there huge downtime 
it's not really a thing. You know, there'll be injuries on the field that, you know, will go into timeouts and stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, motorsports in general, and it's not just drag racing. It's, you know, it's all types. Uh, we saw it with what the um, F1 did this year. I mean, yeah. It was a manhole cover or something that, and then the next thing you know, like a whole day is canceled. You know, it's, and NASCAR is worry is figuring out a way to make their events more consumable. Yep. They're trying to either shorten the races. They're trying different stadiums. They're kind of grasping to make their events more consumable. Yeah. Baseball is running into the same thing. You know, if, if anybody's a baseball fan, they're trying to speed. I don't up. think anybody's a baseball. <laughs> <fan>. <laughs> they're, they're, safe. they're really trying to speed up. You know, the game, and that's yeah. it's because we all, as a whole, are attention span is just getting shorter and shorter and mm -hmm. it's it's obviously in my opinion due to social media you know we we're now watching you know facebook reels and stuff like that TikToks that last 10 seconds and then we're on to the next so you know you're getting like i said getting somebody to a four-hour baseball game is becoming tough for them how do we get people to stay at a nine ten hour race event all day and then okay. we ask them to come back two days in a row that's where it's really tough. I know Streetcar Takeover was kind of one of the early ones to coin the one-day event, and that helped them in their what they're doing. But it doesn't work in all events, of course. I mean, there's downfalls to it. Donald I mean, Long, he does nine-day events. You're there for what seems like a month, some of these events. Yep. So, and I mean, where there's pros and cons to it, you can see it firsthand. You know, Streetcar Takeover at ZMAX in Charlotte last year. It's, it's a one-day event. Well, two-day event. Uh, you know, they had their Friday yeah. night stuff, but weather comes and they don't have a lot of time to work with. Um, you know, that that's where your downfall is. But you know, like you said, Donald, this last year at No Mercy, we had terrible weather multiple days. But because you got multiple days to work with, you're able to try to flip schedule, squeeze things in. Yep. And I think also that's important too. Is events need to see what the weather's going to do and change before. The weather does come in because I've seen events where they're not proactive last and yeah, then they react to rain and now they're kind of screwed. Even this weekend is that's this dating this now, but this weekend is um, U.S. Street Nationals and they're finishing a race from a couple like a month ago. Yep. Uh, they have to finish the the back half of Pro Mod. Yep. And we actually just left out there and was talking a while about it there, you know, so and it, unfortunately for them, only three of the four cars are actually on the property and going to be there, you know, because they were down to semifinals. Yeah. And they're now they really have to change up their whole game plan with everything, too, because they're going to actually finish that during qualifying for this event. So they're yep. going to run their semifinals and their finals during like Q2 for this event. And then that also ruined what can happen with rules. Because now the cars, it was like an in-between rules changes and stuff. So, like, the cars are kind of in a weird spot. I mean, it kind of works out for them. Only three out of the four cars did show up, so you're a little bit more likely to win. But it makes the race weird also for spectators. How do you, how is a spectator, just some random guy that is a casual viewer, going to understand that Snowbirds, he may have not even watched, is now finished at U.S. Street Nationals. Yeah, I, that's one of those you um you have to have a really good announcer in place. Yeah. Uh, fortunately for us, um, you've had him on the show. Derek uh, Putnam yep. has been doing our events from the beginning, and hopefully we keep him around for as long as we can. But we, it was actually really funny. I, I didn't know Derek before our first streetcar bragging rights. Um, I reached out to a close friend that was, you know, she's in the drag race community. I said, hey, send me some names. Like, I don't know 
announcers. You know, send me some names, and I'm going to start making some phone calls. There's not that many. There's not a lot. Um, I was sent three names, and Derek was one of them, and Al Tucci was one of them, and I honestly don't even remember who was third on that list. But because Derek was on the top of my list, I actually reached out to him first, um, and me and him had a – I'm pretty sure it was like an hour-long phone call. And when I got off the phone, I was like, I don't even need to call Al. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Derek's the man for 100%, this. 100%. Derek, good, yep. so. Al's great, but, <laughs> yep. Yep. I don't, I don't blame you on that. And he's kind of been forced to retire from racing <laughs> because his announcing has been so high demand. Yep. And he's a great announcer, but also there's a high demand with a low supply of announcers. Yep. There really is not that many. Yeah, I saw that uh, Derek just just announced that he's going to be at Texas 2K yep. this year. He's doing FL 2K. So he's been Fabian at TX2K. I, I think he's stepping back from announcing a little bit. So bigger, less people now again. It's just crazy. Like there's not that many. Yeah, going back to weather though, that is every every promoter's least favorite word. It's so wild, man. Uh, you know we we don't even say the we call it the R word. Like we don't even say it. We it's just we don't bring it up we don't talk about it and it's yep. just this crazy superstition with everything where we're just like you don't look at the weather you don't check your phone but you have to be proactive about it and we we learned firsthand so we did our first three-day event streetcar bragging rights last year back in may and we caught some really bad weather uh on our second day so middle of the day you know this is when the majority of our qualifying is going on um so we we end up canceling the day and we sat down really quickly and we we rewrote our entire schedule. And one thing we take very seriously is our scheduling. Our scheduling for all three day of our all three days of our events is wrote out in like five minute increments. And you know, our entire group knows if we're ten minutes behind, and that's another reason um, Derek is the man. He he communicates with us because he has our schedule and he's like, Hey, you're you're twenty minutes ahead here, you're thirty minutes ahead here, hey, you're you're falling a little bit behind. This is where you need to speed up. This is where you need to slow down. Uh, but luckily, we were able to rewrite the schedule. We missed no qualifying. We were able to knock out everything. We just we started a little bit earlier on Saturday, and we're able to finish everything. But it's a huge fear. I mean, you're there's a lot of money on the line. There's a lot of sponsor money. You know, you're well. Racers usually ruin schedules, and <laughs> I get on my fellow racers about this all the time. I'm like. You guys need belly pans. Make sure your shit's not leaking. Try to get down the track. Pull off to the side. Like, the the simple stuff. Well, even not just that. Them getting to the lanes. Ah, <laughs> it's, it is a wild thing that a lot of people don't realize that, you know, we're when you're making calls. And with us doing the um, WhatsApp groups and stuff like that, I, I think we are able to speed up a lot of that. You know, communication is is key whenever it comes to getting people to the lanes, but you're always going to have, you know, your one or two people that are you're trying to buy a little bit more time. They're trying to cool down yeah. a little bit more. They're doing this or doing that. And I mean, it could throw you off schedule quick. I yeah. Mean, I mean, if you're talking five minutes, five minutes disappears quick at a racetrack. I mean, 45 minutes disappears quick. And the other flip side is as racers, there's some things that slow us down that I get frustrated by. I, I, I tell everyone this, that there needs to be dedicated lines at the food for racers. Just if you got a racer <laughs> band, maybe a different window. Just a completely separate Because it's tough, you know, window. you can, like, I've gone all day without eating at plenty of racetracks because yeah. I can't get food and I don't have time. 
And, you know, not all the time. Usually I go out first round and I have time, but... <laughs> Yeah, we try to. It's a bummer. Yeah, we so we actually all of our events too. We have a hospitality area, and it's it's trackside. And luckily at Carolina, we're able to really pull this off really well with how things are set up. But you're able to go inside the tower, you know, and cool down. We have snacks and drinks, you know, throughout. We also we stage um, coolers and stuff in the staging lanes that are specifically for racers, because mm-hmm. uh, we, you know, our first event was in March and. It was a terrible mistake. It was 100 degrees outside. And like I said, when we put our survey out, the number one thing that whenever it would get to the end and everyone was like, we'd ask, what's the one thing you can change? And I'm like, don't have a fucking race in the middle of the yeah. summertime. I usually avoid Z-Max for that same reason. Yeah, I went last year. It was, it was toasty. It's hot. They have a lot of concrete A lot there. of concrete. A lot of asphalt, a lot of concrete tracks, a lot of heat. It's a great track, but it's too hot. <laughs> So I usually try to, and that's just stuff that you have to deal with. I mean, we're in Florida, so I'm used to racing in the heat. If you're not racing in the heat and humidity, you're just not racing. So you kind of have to deal with that. But for up north, you also have a slimmer area of racing. And then there's only so many weekends that you can race. Yep. So you have to talk to other promoters. You can't just schedule on top of promoters. Like you're saying, March, you can't just schedule on top of TX2K. Yeah, so we're, you know, I, I think we're we're crossing over a bridge now to where we're getting popular enough to where we don't have to wait as long to put out our schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first started, there's obviously that huge fear of we're going to put our dates out and then someone else is going to take it. And we're the new event. We're the little guys. We're nobody's been to our event yet and people aren't going to show up. So, you know. I talk to promoters as much as I can. Um, I talk to Victor as much as I can. I talk to Justin and Chase. You know, I'm always trying to find out what people's schedules are as quickly as I can. So, yeah. you know, there's 52 weekends in a year, and there are hundreds of race promoters. And you guys probably only get 20 or, what, 30 that are actually yeah, so good our, enough yeah, to race I mean, in. our track is, uh, you know, not a lot of tracks, I guess, in the area are closed, you know, throughout the year. But our track closes for, um, I think, three months out of the year. Yeah. So we lose those three months. The middle of summer is something we don't want anything to do with anymore. Um, and then you're, you know, we we really, I'd say the big three, you know, that in my head are FL2K, Texas 2K, World Cup. And, and then, we're talking big three just because they overlap with your rule set. Not not attacking any no, other. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. And they're, and they're when they're there's there's single day events. And then, you know, the one that we look at also is obviously streetcar takeover. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to not have a single race while they're even if it's on the other side of the country while streetcar takeover is going on because we want those guys to come to our event. Yeah. Um hell, we want Justin and Chase to come to our event too. So um but it's it's tough. I mean, and unfortunately, a lot of race promoters, um, you know, even those smaller guys, they they don't want to communicate. It's yep. it's one of those things that it's weird to me because you know, if there was this open you know line of all these guys that you know would just communicate and talk to each other a little bit more, everybody would do a lot better. Uh, we see it all the time having multiple tracks in our area where these guys will intentionally put a race and it'll be the same type of classes on top of each other just because they don't like each other 
it's like, what are you accomplishing? Yeah, you're just trying to split the <laughs> split the group and, of racers. I mean, and these tracks will be an hour apart. Yeah, it's you know that's something that when we first got into everything, I was you know reaching out to Justin as much as possible, reaching out to Victor, reaching out to Chase, um, trying to have this open line of communication. And you know, obviously. Uh, they're not as much worried about my date as I am worried about theirs. Yeah. Um, but you know, we want to, we want to work with everybody as much as possible. But even too close can still be an issue. If there's only Absolutely. like FL2K, there's only a week after your event is only a week before or after your event, then people decide they're like, well, I'm not going to go break my shit yep. if I got to go to this race or that race, like or the travel, so like you, you have to even take that into account. You can't even just same weekend. You also yep. have to take like. We saw that with, so we were very fortunate to be able to introduce one of our classes at Donald's um, No Mercy last year. Mm -hmm. uh, so we approached him with that, got on board with that. And unfortunately, you know, with, with No Mercy and Lights Out, you know, all these guys are pretty much they have the same dates year round. They they typically fall within the same type of weekend or whatever. Yeah. FL2K and No Mercy are pretty much on top of each other pretty often. Yeah. Um, or they're like a week apart. But they're different cars. Different cars. Yeah. And so, you know, that was something that we ran into. Hell, as soon as I posted about it, Victor was in my inbox. <laughs> he was like, the hell, man? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man. Like, you know, and, and that was one of my mistakes where it wasn't something that I was even looking at. And then, you know, my thought process was, well, it's FL2K. It's, you know, it's a little south. Those guys will also maybe come and race with us next week. And that was the case for a few people. But there's also, I can't do two weekends in a row. I can't travel two weekends in a row. I can't, you know, yeah. be racing. You know, FL2K is a long event. It's not a one-day event. Yeah. If it's one day and then another one day, you can maybe swing that. But when it's like a long event and then No Mercy is a long event as well, it's hard to swing those two. Our first streetcar bragging rights was within a 30-day window, uh, 30, 35 days of Texas 2K. And in my opinion, when we first started, it was like, that's perfect, you know, that's not really going to interfere. And I was blown away by the amount of people. And obviously, you know, Texas 2K is going to take priority, you know, it, until we reach a point to where we're at that level, getting to that level. I, and I do think we're rapidly getting there. But when someone reaches out and goes, yeah, man, I, I'm going to Texas 2K and I'm not coming to streetcar bragging rights to hurt my car and then have 25, 30 days to fix it. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's that aspect to it. Just like you said, even being somewhat close is also a bad thing. Yeah, there's, I, I think, unfortunately, we're coming, well, fortunately and unfortunately, we're coming to a point where people are just going to not have to worry as much about events. There's, there's what, like 25 Dragon Drives this year. There's Tons so many streetcar classes. You're almost just going to have to get to a point where as long as it's multiple states away, it kind of is what it is. Yeah. You can't really cater to every single event or else some promoter sitting at home right now may never have his event just because he can't figure out a date because he's so worried about, oh, there's a drag and drive six hours from me. Yeah. So you kind of almost have to just get to a point where bite the bullet, you have to do it. There's yeah, going to be cars that won't travel 
and there's, four states away. There's ways of doing it still where, you know, you're communicating and it's, you know, it, I went through this honestly with our race that we're having right now. Um, our small tire class, uh, same weekend at Rockingham, there is going to be a small tire class up mm -hmm. there uh, with Carolina No Time. And it was just one of those, like, it was, it was not really either one of ours fault. You know, we basically released our schedules around the same time. We started semi-promoting it around the same time. And then it was, oh man, this is kind of falling the same weekend. Yeah. We actually got on the phone. I got on the phone with Lance and the big thing was like, look, no hard feelings. You know, it's, we're set, your date set, my date set. I'm going to promote my race. You're going to promote your race. But, you know, there doesn't need to be a, we're intentionally trying to screw each other yeah. here. And I think that's a big one, you know, even whenever that stuff does happen, because it's going to happen. Well, like, you know, FL2K is really close to World Cup. But FL2K has looked at a, like, a tester practice pre-event yeah. almost to World Cup for a lot of these cars. Like, they kind of shake down, they get some test laps in before World Cup. So it's, some people would have probably potentially saw that as competition, but they actually bounce off each other yep. in a way that maybe people wouldn't expect and that's what's happening really well right now with sick week um I, I think there's probably 15 racers that are um you know are going to be coming to lights out in our streetcar bragging rights class mm -hmm. but they're waiting to you know they're doing everything with sick week and they're going to get through the week and then go from there before yeah. obviously they spend 200 dollars on a tech i think i've so. said that to you before if my car is not blown up yeah. I'll try to make it. <laughs> if I still have rods in the motor, I'll try to make it. And that's, uh, I mean, just bringing that up, that's something that we recently introduced to. So it's, we're, and our app is going to definitely help out with this, but we are doing uh, what's called the Streetcar Bragging Rights uh, Racer Credit Program. For us, when racers register on the vote, I don't think a lot of people realize how much help they are doing for us. Mm -hmm. It is huge. When we have information, all your information well ahead of time. We're handwriting tech cards. We're assigning class numbers. We're yeah. plan I mean, down to we're trying to figure out how many food trucks we need, how many people are going to be there when people buy these tickets. So the biggest downfall, we're racers, we understand. I'm not going to buy a tech card and spend $200, $300, and then buy this and buy that for a class, you know, a race that's six months out because I'm going to go race other stuff shit's likely going to break and now I'm out of this money. And that is a reality with, I mean, I think we all know this when you register for a race event, you're not getting that money back. You just, yeah, have, that's, you've given them that money. <laughs> you donated to yeah. the purse. So yeah, I'm signed up for TX2K in March and I signed up months ago yep. and it's in Dallas. It's far. It's like 18 hour drive from here. So what we've done a is three month old kid. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a, <laughs> It's a lot. So what we've done on that is, you know, as long as we know going forward a two-week notice that you cannot make the race, we're going to issue you a credit. You know, this isn't a refund, um, mm -hmm. but this will be a credit for any of our events going forward. So if you break, I mean, if you're testing the week before and you break, um, you know, you get to at least know that you can use that money for a tech card or entry. I mean, even if it's just spectator entry. Um, we are even opening it up to where that credit can be used for merchandise. So if you wanted to buy a shirt, hat, or anything like that from us. But we did that specifically because we need racers to register quickly. We need them to get registered as soon as possible. Um, yeah, it needs to fill up 
kind of right yeah. off the kick. Because, I mean, I'm a prime example of exactly what I don't want people doing. I don't register for events until sometimes at the gate. Yeah. I mean, it's just like I, I'm i bad about it. You know, if we're going, even if it's something that's mapped out and planned out, if it's something in my head that I don't think is going to sell out, I'm just going to hold off. I've went to a plenty of events where I don't decide until like yep. three days before, maybe two days before that I'm going to go to the event. And, of course, I'm not going to pre-register for every event. It kind of more just like, oh, it popped up. I, it works out. I can go. And I can go. I mean, I, when I went to Streetcar Takeover Darlington, I didn't know I was going to go until two days before. Kind of prime example, but I've never raced at Darlington, so I was like, oh. Huh. Yeah, I actually saw you there. That yeah, that's, that was great. I love that track. Yeah. And I know you guys do stuff there, too, right? Yeah, we, had a, um, we did a small tire. Well, it was all around just a no time event. It was a two day thing. We did a no time small tire class and a no time overdrive class. Uh, that was actually our first time venturing outside of Carolina Dragway. And it was kind of a, let's see, you know, if we can do this, you know, hours and hours away, it was kind mm -hmm. of a, a test for us. And fortunately for us, we, we really did very well when it came to the quality and the car count. Um, where we didn't do well at that event was sponsors and we kind of knew this but you know even right now we have so many local sponsors that make up such a big part of our event and it's it's local tow companies it is um your uh part stores it's i mean we have a lady who sells cupcakes and she throws us a thousand dollars, you know, yeah. just every year. It's it's these people that have kind of been around since the beginning, local insurance agents, uh, car dealerships, stuff like that. We knew when we went three and a half hours away from home that there's no real benefit for them to give us any money. So we're we're now getting to a point where we're starting to get more, um, you know, from these bigger companies, these bigger automotive companies. Guys like uh, Luis with Fuel Tech, uh, Doug with Motion. I mean, these guys. I mean, you see it everywhere. These are yeah, some of they the, support racing events, tracks, the whole nine. The, I mean, I prefer to buy from companies that actually absolutely put I mean, their the, money there. These are the guys that you know really need. We need to put them on a pedestal when it comes to yeah. these grassroots events. If you know? they don't have like a CEO, really, I'm yeah. all for it. Yeah. No, we I know they have CEOs, but not the you know. There's not a cool guy in the suit. I mean, you know. It, Obviously, sponsorships need to make sense, so we talk about this all the time, but we see guys, I mean, we see these companies, Fuel Tech, Motion, TBM, they're sponsoring the smallest events to the biggest events. Mm -hmm. That's huge. I mean, that's that's a big thing because it takes it takes getting, you know, those bigger sponsors for these grassroots events to grow. I mean, without them, you're, you're kind of dead in the water without sponsors at yeah. this point. I, I mean, that that's the smart way. For me, I avoid all sponsorship as much as I can, like the plague. Yeah. I try to, <laughs> mostly because I don't like... Well, uh, yeah, well, I mean, when you're not... When you feel like you are, you know, having to meet some type of criteria for what you do... Yeah, I don't ever want to have... I, I've had one person one time, they're like, man, could you do a little more? And I was like, uh, I'm out. Sorry, I get it. I've, I'll just uh, pay for the part. Never I'm, mind. <laughs> I'm building a car now that I've taken a couple sponsorships on, and I've, I mean, I've received probably seven or eight thousand dollars in parts, and it's one of those things where the race promoting stuff has really 
made it to where I haven't been able to finish this car and get it out. And mm -hmm. there's a constant, like, I feel terrible about it. Yeah, like, there's these, that nagging feeling. These, these, you know, luckily, you know, they're not on my ass about it, but it's like, man, you, you gave me a $6,000 part a year and a half ago and my car is still yeah six months out. So if there's, I totally get what you're saying. Like yeah. sometimes it's like, is it worth it? You know, I know. And I've, I've, the difficulty also in part sponsorship is they all want the same size sticker no matter what they give you yeah. or what you do with them. If you pay cost, if you get free parts, if you get $10,000, if you get $500, the sticker's got to be the same size pretty much. So it's like gets finicky there as well yep. because I feel like I'm giving another sponsor a disservice if he's sitting next to a sponsor that gave me a 20% of what he did. Yep or helps me 20% as much as that other person that I try to just avoid it all. And especially the corporate sponsors, I definitely try to avoid those ones. Yeah, I'm waiting to the point where we're like, drag cars are running, you know, like the Fig Newton sticker across the windshield. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where we're not far off from that. Especially when I see like cars that are street racing that are covered in sponsor stickers. I'm like, That's so weird to me because I thought that was like the opposite of looking like NASCAR. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, there's a lot of companies, a lot of very big companies that you see it very often. And you know it's not just a sticker that's slapped on there. It is like a full sponsorship yeah. or whatever the case may be. And you're like, that's a that's a touchy subject. How is it promoting with uh, Donald Long? He seems like a loose cannon at times. <laughs> is it <He's>, fun? <laughs> so I think... I like him. I, I follow him on Facebook and it's constant entertainment. I think a lot of people don't understand that there is Donald Long and then there's Duck. And these are two completely different people. And one of them is a racer and, you know, a guy that loves this industry. And I'm not saying the other one doesn't, but the other guy is a race promoter. Mm -hmm. And he's promoting races. And he's going to get you talking yeah. In some type of way. Mostly about Stevie Fast. Mostly about Stevie <laughs> Fast. And I mean, he knows. And a lot of these guys that are commenting on his post and, you know, replying to his videos and they're they're feeding right into exactly what he wants. Yeah. And a lot of them don't understand that. Um, but it works. I mean, he's done this for 15 years now and his events are some of the biggest in the country and you know yeah, fastest cars fastest radio cars yeah. i mean he's you have multi-million dollar you know programs race programs that you know are dedicated around his events throughout the year so that's and i don't mean he's a loose cannon in a derogatory way i actually like that and i think it's fun for the industry you need it i mean uh it's not a negative <laughs> thing it's I actually a positive yeah no for sure um He's definitely different. <laughs> yeah. But it works. And, yeah, um, definitely works. He's, he's definitely figured it out. I, I There's not anybody else that comes to mind when it comes to race promotion that does the stuff that he does. No, but. definitely not. I mean, he's definitely the loudest mouth in <laughs> race promotion. <laughs> but we'll end it off there, man. You want to promote some of your events? You want to plug them a little bit here? I'll put the – whatever link you send me, I'll put in the description. Cool. Yeah, so um, the dates our – First, our next event coming up is going to be um, our Streetcar Bragging Rights class at Lights Out 15. That's at South Georgia Motorsports Park in uh, February 22nd through 25th. It is the first and only quarter-mile class, streetcar class, that okay. has ever been ran at any of Donald's events. Um, 
So they're going to turn on the quarter mile boards for you guys. Yep. So Might throw off some fans. Yep. They'll be like, what's that? No. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely different. We also, we do a cruise on the circle track, which is really cool. So this year there'll be a 30 minute cruise and it kind of, we quickly can separate who has a small fuel cell and who doesn't. Yeah. You don't make the cruise, you get disqualified. It adds up quick. It'll make for cool photos too. Yeah. So our big event um, is Streetcar Bragging Rights, May 9th through 11th at Carolina Dragway. Uh, we have this three-day event. We have uh, nine different race classes. We are the, I, I'm going to say this, and if anybody, if I'm wrong, uh, definitely call me out on it, but I believe we are the only streetcar event uh, period that is giving out NHRA Wallies to all of our winners. We've, mm-hmm. That is one thing that we've been super fortunate the last two years. All of our main classes, we you leave as a class champion with NHRA Wally. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So uh, we got that one. Um, a big one that we, we've made some slide announcements. We haven't uh, put out a whole lot of it is our beater car bragging rights. It's going to be going down Friday, October 11th. Yeah, October 11th at, uh, during No Mercy 15. So that'll okay. be at South Georgia Motorsports Park on the Oval Track. It is uh, 25 teams, invite only sponsored by nitrous outlet those guys are going to give all 25 teams a full nitrous kit with a 10 pound bottle to oh, kind of cool. use at their discretion but yeah dave and those guys are good over there so we'll be we'll be dropping some more stuff on that soon but that one's uh that one's gonna be pretty fun freaking cool man well thanks for coming on i'm pumped to see the events grow and as things evolve and and maybe you can make one i'll make one eventually <laughs> <laughs> i'll do it eventually i it is on my list of to do it's on my you get a board. little bit of pass right now with a newborn yeah a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i also don't have an engine in my car man come yeah. on <laughs> picking on a guy with no motor <laughs> Thank you.